Welcome to the CFI Podcast, hosted by Canadian Forest Industries Magazine, Canada's leading national logging and solid wood products magazine since 1881. You've tuned in to hear compelling conversations on hot topics and trends in the logging and wood products industries with experts from across Canada. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of the CFI Podcast. I'm your host, Ellen Cools, editor of Canadian Forest Industries Magazine. Thanks for tuning in. Today we're speaking with Michael Benson, Manager of Wildfire Operations for FP Innovations, about a very timely topic, wildfire prevention, response, and research. Canada's wildfire season has already begun, and as we head into the hot summer months, it is bound to become worse. Experts have already predicted a severe wildfire season this year, particularly in BC, and this will, of course, impact the forest industry. That's why Michael and I will now be discussing how forest products companies can prepare for the wildfire season, the industry's research and response efforts, the impact of good forest management practices, and more. Michael, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Ellen. Thanks uh, very much for inviting me to speak with you and your listeners today. Yeah, of course. So first off, uh, just out of curiosity, what does your role as the manager of wildfire operations for FP Innovations involve? Fair enough question. Uh, Well, for those that aren't familiar with us, FP Innovations is a private, not-for-profit research and development organization that supports the Canadian forest sector. The division that I lead focuses specifically on wildfire, and we have a team of researchers that are tasked with developing solutions for challenges related to wildfire. Um, Unlike my colleagues at FP Innovations, our wildfire division is quite unique in in that our direct connection points with forest product companies is really quite limited. Uh, Rather, we are more closely partnered with the provincial and territorial fire agencies who maintain the legislated responsibility for wildfire response. Uh, As the manager of this team, my role really is to ensure that we're deploying our resources in a manner that that delivers good return on investment for for these clients, our agencies. And and central to delivering on that mandate is to connect closely with with those agencies themselves. And so that's that's the firefighters on the ground, the managers, the decision makers, to truly understand what their challenges or gaps in knowledge are. And then orienting our research team towards finding solutions. Um, Certainly establishing and maintaining trusting and meaningful relationships across the industry is an important component of of this work. Uh, I would say much of our success uh, of the business model of our wildfire team and FP innovations really in general lies in leveraging a variety of funding sources and and research opportunities to be as efficient as possible in creating value for for our clients, and, and in our specific case, that is mostly the wildfire management agencies themselves. And uh, we then work on sharing those lessons learned and findings to to wildfire agencies broadly across Canada. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so over the past five years, Canada's wildfire season has become longer and more severe due to climate change. This means the forest industry needs to prepare for the wildfire season earlier each year, and more and more focus must be placed on both wildfire prevention and response. So how would you rate the industry's preparedness and response levels in recent years? Yeah, really, there's, there is no doubt that the, the fire regime has been changing. 
We can all remember the devastating fire seasons such as that experienced in 2016 in Fort McMurray with the horrific news reels of high intensity wildfire encroaching upon the community. And even more recently, the fire seasons of 2017 and 2018 in British Columbia that consumed more than 2 million hectares of, of forested land and cost in excess of a billion dollars to respond. Uh, and that's not even to mention the enormity of other damages and impacts to infrastructure, tourism, uh, the forest industry, and, and just the general day-to-day -day life for many. Um, you know, climate change has impacted season durations, burning conditions, and fuel availability. Fire severity certainly has its real and formidable challenges. Uh, however, Having been fortunate enough to have worked with many countries around the world, I've, I've no doubt that Canada's wildfire response capabilities are, are absolutely world-class. The fire agencies are staffed with highly committed and trained professionals and have dedicated careers and sometimes, unfortunately, their lives to protecting assets and infrastructure from the, from the impacts of unwanted wildfires. And, but when you, you couple that capacity with the capacity and expertise of, of the forest industry at large, they collectively represent a pretty, pretty formidable force. Now, that being said, each province faces different wildfire risks and different budgets, frankly, to be able to respond and manage those risks. And one thing that is clear is that no single agency has enough resources to be successful responding to all of their unwanted wildfires all of the time. Therefore, the ability to be able to quickly scale response capabilities is critical for success on busier than average periods throughout a fire season or a fire season it, itself. You know, the firefighting industry has a variety of mechanisms to be able to scale. Um, these include things like reallocating of government resources from lower priority responsibilities. Uh, responsibilities to more emergent situations such as wildfire, increasing capacity through the contracting community, both for sector resources and wildfire service providers, such as aircraft and contract firefighting crews. And often these forest industry resources are reallocated from force operations such as harvesting to wildfire response roles. Uh, a third resource for increased capacity is the Canadian Interagency Firefighting Centre, which is known as CIFSI. And CIFSI is a not-for-profit organization that is owned and operated by the federal, provincial, and territorial wildland fire management agencies with a, with a purpose to coordinate resource sharing and mutual aid between, between agencies. And I would say that this cohesive affiliation of wildfire agencies is really the envy of, of, of other countries. They really represent the, the Canadian wildfire management community and they develop common standards, terminology and, and processes to facilitate ease of mobilization and integration of wildfire response resources from across Canada. By and large, Canada really is in a fortunate position in terms of capacity, experience and expertise in, in the wildfire response domain. However, you know, even high reliability organizations have, have room for improvement. I would say that that FP Innovations and, and specifically our, our wildfire operations group has been working really closely with agencies for, for decades now to support improving response capabilities through through a variety of research projects that are oriented towards things like 
you know, uh, wildfire response equipment evaluations, aviation and wildfire chemical research, uh, fire detection, you know, optimal wildfire crew configurations, that, that sort of a thing. Yeah, it's definitely uh, good to hear that Canada is so well prepared. Uh, it's unfortunate that, of course, that doesn't necessarily mean that we can handle all of the fires that come out, especially in recent years. Um, and obviously now COVID-19 has had an impact on province's ability to prepare for the 2020 wildfire season. Uh, they had to delay work in the early spring in BC uh, and I believe other provinces as well. So how do you think this will impact Canada's wildfire response this summer? Yeah, fair, fair question. Um, you know, COVID-19 really has impacted everyone. And, and you're right. And thankfully, it's been a slow start to the fire season in, in Canada. Every agency as of, as of this morning is in low or moderate preparedness levels. So that means that they currently maintain the resourcing levels to be able to meet those short-term anticipated needs. But you know, that being said, I've had 26 years in, in the wildfire response domain and, and fire hazard can increase quickly this time of year. And in particular, you know, in June around the summer solstice, when the days are so long, they provide a lot of time for fuels to be able to dry. And we certainly have seen seasons uh, that have started slow like this um, and then have escalated to really quite severe wildfire events. So we're we truly are far from being out of the woods on fire season 2020 at this point in time. You know, as it relates to the ongoing pandemic, agencies have been really proactive in preparing themselves to ensure that they're able to effectively respond to wildfires while you know mitigating those risks associated with COVID-19. Admittedly, successful mm -hmm. wildfire agencies live in a world of risk identification and mitigation. And so out of necessity, it's often inherently part of part of their culture for, for wildfire agencies. You know, these agencies have since the early days of the pandemic, they've been establishing what they call incident, incident management teams or task teams that are specifically dedicated to developing strategies and, and tactics for, for remaining successful. So several initiatives have been undertaken uh, to reduce the likelihood of wildfires even starting in the first place, uh, such as restrictions on industrial activity and, and burning in some cases, as well as backyard burning vans that 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 have been imposed earlier than than they normally are. Um, from a from a response perspective, agencies have pretty universally placed an increased emphasis on what is a standard practice of initial attack, which is really that early detection and aggressive response to wild up wildfires. And, you know, the purpose of that is to keep them as small as possible. You know, in, in the context of COVID, um, you know, this approach is really intended to reduce movement of wildfire personnel uh, and the intermingling that's really associated with large fire management, where when we traditionally get into these large campaign fires, we establish, or agencies establish fire camps that, that sometimes have hundreds of personnel that are living in, in, in fairly close quarters. So, you know, this approach uh, and real emphasis of keeping fires small is particularly applicable during the, the COVID-19 epidemic or pandemic. And, and it also minimizes smoke, smoke impacts to, to air quality. And given the respiratory component of the COVID infection, that's, that's pretty important at this point in time.
all that being said, it's been a slow start to the fire season across the country and agencies haven't really had an opportunity to fully test their strategies and, and approaches to addressing wildfire in the COVID environment as of yet. One thing that sort of sticks out on the radar is that it's, it's also likely that agencies, wildfire management agencies, may have less out-of-province support this year than in, than in previous years. Agencies are expecting that the movement of personnel across Canada to support other jurisdictions will probably be reduced this year in order to preserve the safety of the essential wildfire workers and reduce the probability of, of viral transmission across Canada. So all in all, I think the agencies are, are well prepared, but I think they're also quietly hoping that the season isn't a, isn't a particularly nasty one. Yeah, aren't we all? I'm glad to hear that they are prepared, but definitely going to be interesting if we do end up with a severe wildfire season and so many people need to be out there to fight that. Yeah, I agree. It certainly certainly is an interrupter to standard, you know, normal practices. Of course, it's not just the provinces that need to prepare for the wildfire season each year. The uh, forest products companies need to as well, since wildfires impact their fiber supply. So what do you think forestry companies need to do to ensure that they're prepared for the possible impact of wildfires each year? Yeah, you're right. Wildfires impact everyone, um, whether it's, you know, day to day people in their daily lives or or the, the wild or the forest sector uh, particularly gets impacted by by wildfires. Generally speaking, wildfire response is the mandate and responsibility of of governmental wildfire management agencies. That being said, forest companies do have an important role in in minimizing the impacts of wildfire. They have the equipment, the breadth of local knowledge, uh, and expertise in heavy equipment operations such that's super critical to being able to have access to it during during fire seasons. You know, some things that that companies can do and you know, is is make sure that they're ready to go to, to answer the call when needed. You know, and this can take the form of ensuring that requisite training, such as basic fire suppression training, is complete and and their staff are fully prepared. Making sure that equipment is operational and and registered with their fire agencies. Um, you know, there's certainly value in maintaining a relationship with their respective wildfire management agency prior to an emergent event where things often don't go quite as as cleanly and seamlessly as 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 people would like. Um, so at a minimum, I think this should include participation in, in wildfire agency industry meetings that typically occur in the early spring each year. You know, another another side of this this conversation is that the forest industry unfortunately represents a source of human caused fires. And each year there are fires that are caused by forest operation activities. And it's important that forest companies continue to do their part in making sure that their operations aren't the source of or of, of the next new wildfire that that comes bearing down on a community. You know, companies also have other responsibilities related to wildfire watches and reporting of wildfires and and response requirements when, when fires start, depending on which jurisdiction that they're operating within. But you know, ultimately, government wildfire agencies and forest companies have the same agenda when it comes to minimizing the impacts of unwanted wildfire. And 
it's therefore critical that the two parties work collaboratively towards achieving this this common goal. It's always important that um, we're collaborating and cooperating and sharing information. Absolutely. And with regards to wildfire response, uh, forest products companies are also responsible for ensuring all work is done safely and that their workers stay safe, especially if there's a wildfire burning near a sawmill or logging site. So what are some best practices for employers to follow? Yeah, and I, I guess some general thoughts around that is, is you know, starting up at the front end. Um, employers should really ensure that they support the creation of a culture of safety within their organization and and that their workers feel that and know that if they ever feel unsafe, they have the right and the responsibility, frankly, to remove themselves from the hazard. Fighting wildfires in Canada isn't about heroics and, and taking chances. It's about working hard, working smart, uh, conducting yourself as a professional and, and taking responsibility for your safety. And in an occupation like this that is so dynamic and has significant inherent risks, you, you can't afford to take chances um, because they will eventually catch up to you if, if you stay in this sector long enough and, and the consequences can be devastating. Incident commanders, uh, those are the people that are in charge of wildfires on, you know, on site, on the fire line. They, they have a responsibility to keep responders safe. And whether these are government employees or forest company contractors, they have that responsibility. But we do like to say that it is a shared responsibility between the actual the worker and, and the supervisors. I would say that the industry employers should ensure that their staff no to voice concerns to incident supervisors <clears throat> and to ask questions when they're unsure. Wildfire has its own language and, and lexicon, so there is all kinds of opportunity for confusion for environment. Uh, employers need to make sure that they're adhering to all of the applicable work safe regulations and requirements that have been put into place, really with the intention of keeping their workers safe and bringing them home at the end of the day. You know, this includes, among other things, having emergency response plans in place and, and ensuring that their workers are aware of their rights to a safe work site. And that, that includes along the fire line. Right, absolutely. That's very important. Um, naturally, as you've already uh, implied, one of the best ways to fight wildfires is by mitigating the risk of fires in the first place. And FP Innovations has been doing research about wildfire mitigation and prevent, prevention for a few years now. So can you talk a bit about what specific topics the research focuses on and the progress that's been made in this area? Yeah, sure can. Uh, and and you're, you're correct. Low-lying fruit exists in this area. I, I mean, mitigation really is the, you know, the concept of a stitch in time saves nine. You, you, you invest energy on the front end and you should save time and money uh, on the back end. Agencies, for the most part, have excelled at wildfire response for decades, if not longer. And, and as a result, there has been a relative exclusion of wildfire from natural ecosystems. And, and this has contributed to a buildup of fuel in many parts of our environment. And this increases the risk of catastrophic wildfire events. And so the mitigation and prevention component of, of emergency response therefore holds 
great opportunity for reducing the risk of wildfire by reducing fire behavior and fire intensity. And I've certainly been seeing momentum within the wildfire and forestry agencies over the last several years um, to invest resources into these mitigation initiatives. You know, the concept of mitigating risk through the treatment of forest fuels is, is premised on reducing the potential of fire intensity to a level that's more manageable for response resources like firefighters and heavy equipment and, and aircraft. Um, there certainly are fires that once they burn at a, at, a, at, a, at a high intensity, it just is not safe to put these resources in, in their way. Uh, and I would say standard to every introductory wildfire training course is the concept of the fire behavior triangle. And, you know, it's a pretty simple concept, but the, the three sides of the triangle represent three general factors that can influence fire behavior. And those are weather, topography, and fuel. So to augment fire behavior, you need to change one or more of those influencing factors or the, or the sides of the fire behavior triangle. You know, and obviously topography isn't something that we can really control. You can't really just go and move a fire to terrain that's more advantageous from a response perspective. Well, that being said, responders routinely recognize the limitations presented by, by topography and establish containment lines in more favorable terrain. But for all intents and purposes, topography is one side of that triangle that we really can't influence. Weather, you know, the second side, well, Frankly, it appears that we haven't really had a whole lot of luck as a species in this regard, recognizing the, the human component of, of, of climate change causality. So, you know, if we, want, if we want to influence fire behavior, it really leaves us with the third option of, of managing our fuels in our, in our forests better. And I'd say a primary focus of our FP Innovations Wildfire Operations Group has been documenting experimental fires. Um, collecting empirical data to evaluate the effectiveness of fuel treatments. And our team has collaborated with, with many wildfire management agencies to develop research sites where active crown fires can be initiated um, intentionally and can be used to challenge commonly applied fuel treatments under high to extreme fire hazard condi conditions in order to be able to, to validate their efficacy. Um, you know, the results of this research means that you know treatments that are undertaken um, on on the land base um, have a much higher probability of of being effective in achieving the desired outcomes uh, in about in the early 2000s in about 2004 our our wildfire operations group inherited what's called the international crown fire modeling experiment site and that's in fort providence in the northwest territories um, and we've worked with the territorial government there to develop the site to accommodate a, a wide variety of, uh, of wildfire prevention and, and mitigation research projects that involve live, live fire in their evaluations. And uh, we've had an enormous amount of uptake from, from agencies from around the world that have participated in research projects at, at, at this site. Um, you know, another center of excellence related to fuel mitigation initiatives is the Pelican Mountain fire smart vegetation management research area in Alberta and this site's been developed by the Alberta Agriculture and, and Forestry Ministry to further study how fuel treatments can mitigate wildfire behavior and risk and, and we're 
we've done quite a bit of work at at this site and you know one project that we're currently undertaking there is is research to quantify the potential benefits of of reducing fire behavior through converting tree species uh, at the, at the stand level and in this case we're looking at the the impacts of replacing volatile black spruce tree species that uh, that have crowns that extend right down to to the to the surface level and replacing those with less flammable large species um, you know something else that we've been doing as well is we've been pretty active in undertaking post fire observations of of wildfire and fuel treatment encounters once a wildfire has has passed through a treated area and we use that to retroactively evaluate the the effectiveness of, of the treatment so, so you're you're correct, Ellen. I mean, FBA Innovations has been keenly engaged in 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 wildfire prevention and and mitigation projects in in partnership with with our member agencies. Yeah, it sounds like it's a lot of very interesting work. I uh, never really thought about whether or not replacing the more flammable species of trees with less flammable ones would have a big impact. But that's very interesting. Yeah, it certainly is one of those components of the of the of the fuel component of that fire behavior triangle is is around species and species competition. Mm -hmm. Right. And uh, speaking of the research that FP Innovations doing um, recently, the wildfire operations research team and fiber supply groups started a joint research project with City of Quinell in BC to better understand how harvesting techniques can reduce fuel to lower the threat of wildfires. So what are some of the results from this project so far? Yeah, so with the downturn in the forest sector, the, the leadership in Quinell is, has really been active in, in, in seeking to ensure that they can maintain a real relevance in the forest sector. And, and they have flagged their community their community forest as a location undertake research uh, in the domain of risk reduction through harvesting techniques. So, you know, for context, the the harvest prescription that um, that was undertaken in Quinell it applied some pretty basic principles of improving forest resilience and and wildfire risk reduction through, you know, one retention of larger stems, um, two the removal of of ladder fuels that serve to wick a surface fire in, into a crown and and make it much more difficult to respond to uh, and three a, a reduction in surface fuel loading you know this this specific project in Quinell isn't isn't yet complete uh, but we certainly do have some preliminary insights and you know from an economics perspective the the timber that was harvested on site and the salvage of downed stems um, helped in a pretty meaningful way to offset some of the costs of the fuel treatment. So that was a that was a great outcome. Um, we found that much of the coarse woody debris, so the, the large stems that were on the ground, they they were removed during the harvesting operation, and and there was sort of the resultant debris load um, following additional cleanup by hand crew was was really quite minimal, and as a result of that fuel treatment. Uh, on site, if a fire wildfire was to be introduced to that community forest, it's uh, it's expected, quite frankly, to burn at a at a significantly lower intensity, and thus enable response resources the opportunity to gain the the upper the upper hand in containment and give them a, a good fighting chance. 
Uh, I'd say that the treatment also, it increased visual line of sight within the stand um, and it improved access. Um, access to various parts within within that community forest. So, you know, that can contribute towards um, enhanced ability to, to spot and detect fires uh, and new fires and and fire brands from uh, fires in the area and as well it provides easier access for suppression forces to be able to uh, uh, apply their 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 skills to suppressing the fire um, further uh, we, we expect that maintaining the closed canopy on site um, as per the prescription within the stand, it, it does limit the passage of additional sunlight uh, down to the ground and thus it minimizes the future surface fuel propagation. Um, so by trying to fix one problem, you don't really want to create another one. You know, overall, I'd say the project is, is a really good example of, of good collaboration with multiple partners and stakeholders to help realize a variety of, of community values. Yeah, that's excellent to hear that there's already so many benefits from the project and it's uh, not even done yet. <laughs> um, so obviously, research on wildfire mitigation and response is critical to determining the best way for the industry to respond to wildfires. But wildfire response efforts and expertise vary in each province, as you uh, mentioned earlier and some provinces are more heavily impacted by fires than others. So how can we ensure that wildfire expertise and research is shared among industry members across the country? Yeah, yeah, there sure is a, a critical component of, of all of this. Uh, I mean, I too believe that research and wildfire mitigation and response plays a critical role in, in determining the best approaches to address the challenges of wildfire. And, and disseminating lessons learned is challenging um, across agencies, but it's something that has to be overcome in order to be able to create the most value from the research that's being undertaken. I'd say that thankfully the wildfire community is, is fairly tight and, and is collaborative by nature. Um, you know, knowledge exchange, knowledge exchange certainly exists via some formal and informal mechanisms. And we have, uh, national working groups that work together, such as the the CIFSI Fire Science Group, um, and then as well through relationships with other agencies like the Canadian Forest Service, Fire Smart Canada, Natural Resources Canada, um, Canada Wildfire, uh, which is an organization that seeks to to connect partnering organizations with with research. So there is there is lots that's being done in the background to make sure that that knowledge transfer occurs. Uh, and I would say that FP Innovations has a critical role in in facilitating that knowledge transfer. Annually, we we coordinate several workshops and webinars to share best management practices in the wildfire domain. Uh, and I'd say our wildfire operation team coordinates and is very closely connected to our what we call our wildfire advisory committee and and through this group we bring together uh, wildfire management agencies uh, together as a team and we collectively uh, collaborate to identify knowledge gaps uh, we we prioritize future research that brings value to these organizations and then and then we have a key role in sharing out those research results. And I'd, I'd say that our wildfire team is, is pretty uniquely positioned to focus on, 
on operational research that that delivers meaningful insights and solutions to wildfire challenges that are being identified and, and faced by by wildfire management agencies. Yeah, that's definitely important that we see as much collaboration and um, sharing of expertise as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely it is. So I want to switch gears a bit now and go back to discussing wildfire mitigation a bit more. Um, commercial thinning and prescribed burning are two methods for reducing the available fuel for wildfires, but neither are very uh, very common practice in Western Canada. So why do you think that is? And are you seeing more loggers focusing on forest management uh, through commercial thinning and prescribed burning uh, in recent years? Yeah, true. I think I, I think it's a pretty fair observation. I, I likewise don't think that I, I think that commercial thinning and prescribed burning are less common practices in, in parts of Western Canada. You know, with respect to commercial thinning, the the urgency of this practice is somewhat in its infancy, uh, following the number of extreme fire seasons in Western Canada uh, as of late, uh, and it's certainly gaining momentum. Um, I anticipate, though, this will take some time to become a common practice um, to reduce fire potential, just due to the number of hectares that that require treatment before achieving kind of a a critical mass of, of, of treated land base sufficient to augment fire behavior in a really meaningful way. Uh, in some jurisdictions, um, it, it's it's likely that the tenuring system in its current form can limit incentives for companies to make such longer term investments into their tenures. Uh, and I would say, you know, industry, of course, it, it it's a business, um, and and businesses need to make a profit to be sustainable. So unless there are defined financial benefits that are realized, or logging companies are compelled to undertake commercial thinning practices, many are simply going to conform to the minimum hazard reduction regulations. Um, you know, with respect to prescribed burning, the Despite the desires for many, in, in, including myself, to increase its prevalence, there are there are some inherent challenges to its widespread adoption, and it's there there is clearly risk in undertaking prescribed burns by taking a match and 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 applying it to to the land base. Um, you know, the fear of losing a prescribed fire from something that was a controlled operation and, and losing control of it uh, and inflicting damages. Uh, as a result, yeah, that's a that's a tough pill for for any agency or or company to swallow. Um, you know, for those who undertake the prescribed fire. However, you know, on the other side of the coin, there's all kinds of risk. You know, one could easily argue the alternative of not treating the fuel on our own terms in a in a deliberate manner, um, and rather just dealing with the consequences during a bad fire season is a considerably bigger risk to expose ourselves to. I'd say another challenge related to to prescribed burning relates to the prescription window. So things like fuel moisture and and the weather conditions that are required to undertake the treatment. For for burning in these windows, it's these windows aren't always available and they often require practitioners um, and and support staff to be very flexible in responding to favorable conditions as they present themselves. So you need to really be able to be agile 
uh, and pivot really quickly. Uh, tough things, tough things to schedule. You know, and, and finally, and this is probably one of the, the, the bigger factors limiting widespread prescribed burning, um, you know, even even at a national level is around public concern. And there there is concern related to smoke outputs that that affect air quality. Um, and I would say that that has contributed to a slowdown in the use of prescribed burning to treat harvest blocks. And, you know, and furthermore, climate change concerns related to carbon emissions add to the dissenting voices of, of prescribed burning. You know, once again, on the other side of the coin, I've, I've heard very compelling arguments that the environmental impacts from catastrophic fire events have the ability to far exceed the negative environmental impacts associated with the use of prescribed burn techniques that are that are intended to reduce fuel loading and, and mitigate the threat of such fires occurring. Yeah, it seems like there are a lot of different factors to take into account when it comes to uh, prescribed burning. Yeah, there certainly are. So looking ahead, uh, scientists suggest that while, uh, Canada's wildfire season is only going to become longer and even more severe. So what do you think the industry as a whole needs to do to help mitigate the risk of wildfires and minimize their impact? Yeah, fire seasons do appear to be coming longer and, and more severe. Uh, and that presents really significant economic, environmental, and social impacts. And these challenges are complex. and and as such, they likely require holistic approaches involving industry at large. Um, and I'd say the best solution to these challenges, it won't be binary. It won't be just improving response capabilities or, or just focusing and improving mitigation approaches. It'll be, it'll be a combination of both. Um, fuel treatments are an investment in the future. We, we don't know exactly when they're going to be tested by a wildfire, but it, but what is clear is that. Mitigating risk through the modification of existing fuel complexes will contribute towards keeping communities safer and should eventually assist in slowing down the escalating response costs that agencies are, are currently experiencing. Um, right. I would suggest that that as an industry, we, we start with a triage approach. Um, we should be prioritizing the treatments around our highest value assets, such as communities. And we should be encouraging homeowners to take personal responsibility and fire smarting their own property and making it more resilient to the impacts of wildfire. So it's really a shared responsibility model that 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 really that I'm advocating. You know, and these industry and governments will need to work together to develop land use plans that reduce fire spread potential and and methods to reduce fuel loads left in, left in cut blocks. Um, coordinate the planning for all use of our land base that, that takes into account total cost analysis of the, the assets represented by our forest and the liabilities, such as the wildfire represented by our, by our forest. I think these need to be taken into account and become part of an integrated and coordinated you know, planning initiatives. And I feel that this will really help create efficiencies in, in mitigating some of the risks of wildfire. You know, I think as society, we, we have some room for growth in terms of changing our perspective on wildfire and recognizing that, that wildfire really is a natural part of, of ecosystems. We need to allow fires to burn either naturally um, or through prescribed burning when and where appropriate to do so we need to we need to work towards creating a mosaic of 
a fire resistant stance um, so that the impacts of wildfire aren't, aren't, aren't as catastrophic. And we need to change the language of wildfire in my, in my mind to enable the public to differentiate between wanted wildfire um, that is good for, for the environment and unwanted wildfires. And, and to be able to have the public understand that the relationship between you know, the, the periods of discomfort of smoke in the shoulder season months when, when there's burning occurring and the, and the increased likelihood of, of clean air in the summer months as a result of, uh, of that discomfort in, you know, in the fall and, and spring seasons. And, um, and, and a prescribed burn escapes containment or what is a wanted wildfire becomes an unwanted wildfire. You know, given the dynamic nature of, of, of fires, despite the best of intentions and expertise and experience, this is an inevitability um, where, where we fail. And, and the first time things go wrong, it's important that we, that we stay the course um, and, and, and we accept that there are some short-term acute risks of, of allowing wanted wildfire on the landscape. Right, yeah, I think there's a, a lot of misconceptions out there that all wildfires are bad or that any prescribed burning is a bad idea and that a lot of um, education needs to be done with the general public. Yeah, I completely agree with you and and, and it's not an easy thing to do to, to change culture and, and change understanding um, around the world of wildfire. It's it's yeah, it's not it's not an easy thing to do. Right. Yeah. So, where do you think the industry will be in five to ten years in terms of wildfire mitigation and response? <laughs> Great question. I do I do enjoy speculating about the future. So, <laughs> I, I, given the complexity of the challenges, I, man, if I was a pessimist, I would suggest that we're going to see ourselves in a spot very similar to now. But with governments having less money in their coffers due to, you know, the next 10 years of escalating suppression costs. Um, but, you know, thankfully to me, I, I, I don't prescribe to that, that particularly pessimistic view. Um, I think I'm a little bit more pragmatic and optimistic. I, I see a continued emphasis on fuel mitigation. Um, you know, in this speculative 10-year time horizon that we're talking about, I, I, I mean, I expect that some of the value of previously undertaken mitigation efforts will have been realized and that momentum on this front continues to build. I, you know, I anticipate that mitigation programs focus on sustaining already treated stands beyond that initial treatment and not just treating them as a one-time endeavor that makes, that makes a, great, a great media clip. Um, and, and I see an increased emphasis on wildfire science outputs to assist in fire behavior prediction modeling to help inform uh, stand treatments. Planning their harvesting operations in, in such a manner that may reduce the possibility of fire spread, you know, through, you know, for example, establishing cut block alignment and placement um, to reduce potentially reduce fire spread or, or by altering harvest methods. I, I also have some trust that regulatory, governmental regulatory frameworks and policies are going to be updated to, to provide incentives to industry to, to undertake treatments that don't have clearly identifiable 
short-term economic benefits. Um, I, I see society, you know, in this 10-year time frame, increasing acceptance and, and benefit of wanted wildfire and being able to distinguish it from the unwanted wildfires that, that, that should be aggressively suppressed. I anticipate a continued emphasis on cross-jurisdictional mutual aid. You know, as costs continue to escalate, this is a necessity. Uh, and I believe that the sharing of resources uh, across Canada will be one of the most cost-effective solutions when agencies face busy fire seasons and need additional support. Um, you know, by 2030, I would expect that there is an increased use of an incorporation of artificial intelligence and machine learning and, and wildfire response duty rooms um, where, where decision makers are making decisions around how to respond and prioritize wildfires. Um, and I think they'll be used on fire lines to support, you know, fire line workers in, in making decisions um, related to operations and, and planning. You know, the challenges presented by wildfires are great and formidable, but I, I do, I look forward to seeing and, and contributing towards the evolution of, of wildfire management approaches and, and strategies in the years to come. Yeah, that's great. I definitely like your pragmatic uh, approach more than the pessimistic view. <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully uh, the upcoming wildfire season is not too severe and uh, in the coming years, our research and forest management efforts will help us further mitigate the impact of wildfires, both on the industry and the environment. Yeah, I, I, I sure hope so, Alan. And they, you know, thanks, thanks for the opportunity to be on your show and, and to be able to talk about challenges of wildfire that, that affect all of us uh, and how we as an industry uh, can take a leadership role towards creating solutions. Uh, I, I enjoyed our chat today. Yeah, me too. And uh, it was really great insights that you shared. Thanks so much for coming on, and uh, thanks everyone for listening to this episode of the CFI Podcast. Stay tuned for our next episode. <laughs>